Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. Today I have a very special episode for you and to be clear this episode is in partnership with Dell Technologies and Microsoft who can help you find the right technology and offer advice to help your business grow and succeed. And this conversation is part of their 2022 Small Business Podference which is a UK podcast-based conference, a place to share advice and inspiration to support all small businesses. On to the guest, I've been wanting to interview Anissa Osmond-Britton for a while now. We crossed paths a while back and she is amazing. She is the founder of 23 Code Street, a coding school for women and non-binary individuals. And you can find further info in the show notes below about her, but also about Dell, who provide trusted advisors for one-on-one support. So if you need it, you can call, talk or chat with someone directly via the link below. So I'm really excited to share this conversation with you, with Anissa, with lots of tips and info all about coding, the future, networking, starting your own business and I learned a lot from this episode so I hope you do too I hope you enjoy so I'm really excited today to be joined virtually this time but it's very lovely to see your face um the lovely Anissa who we met years ago at a conference and you've always been someone I've been dying to interview because you just are so fascinating and I really love everything you're always up to so thank you for being here oh thank you so much I'm so flattered given that I absolutely admire everything that you do so thank you so much for having me oh thank you so much I'm really excited to talk to you today so before we dig in because this episode is going to be all around tech entrepreneurial life small businesses the businesses that you've founded so would you be able to describe just in a nutshell your career kind of in your own words Yeah, I think my whole career has been an exercise in proving all my teachers wrong at school. Um, (laughs) They sort of expected me to go to university, do the Oxford or Cambridge sort of thing, study maths and physics. And I didn't do any of it. I didn't go to university. And my career has been using my 20s to learn what it actually takes to build a company, work in a company. And Everyone sort of says to me, Anissa, it's a bit eclectic. You've done all sorts, but it's all been under this umbrella of how do you change an industry, in my case, the tech industry, to make it more inclusive, to make it more representative and to make it serve, I guess, all of us. How do you serve everyone in society? Um, And that's been the umbrella to my career. I felt like that in my 20s, like I was pushing against a lot of rules and a lot of red tape and people saying you have to do it a certain way when we are, by definition, the internet generation who are quite good, I think, at making things up and creating things and trying new things. Have you felt like you've needed a bit of that rebellious nature in this industry? Oh, 100%. (laughs) I think it started, I remember telling you um, this when we first met, actually, that I always wear a crazy pair of shoes on stage because it's not the same anymore. But back in the day, it was always men everywhere and they would have their black or brown brogues and all their oxes or their brogues. And that's all I saw at conferences. And I know Mm. it sounds really silly that rebellion starts with a pair of shoes, but it's kind of that thing of how do you not lose yourself in an industry that has felt so different to who I am and to not emulate them in any which way. Um, And I guess that is what makes the change in some way. Have you always done that from the start? Because I felt like I moulded myself a little bit to the tech industry in quotes. I, I don't really feel like I'm really in it anymore, but I felt like 
I did follow it a little bit, which I cringe about now, like the outfits that I would wear or the things I would say. I felt like I was trying to fit in. And then I just felt so grossed out by myself (laughs) that I was like, no, I can't do this anymore. But I really admire people that never did that bit. Yeah. And I think that's where I sat. I sat at the, I never am going to do this. But I think it's because I had older friends and I saw them going through the, I don't want to do this now, now that I'm hitting my late 30s, early 40s, and I've got two kids. I'm like, oh, well, I don't want to do this now that I'm 20 or 21. Can I Can I just please be myself a little bit? In all honesty, I don't think it's always worked in my favour. Um, I think it makes you marmite when you're starting out in your career. Uh, but I don't regret it in any which way. Yeah, no, definitely not. And I think we need we need more of that. But also the fact that as social animals, sometimes we have to fit in as a matter of survival. But actually, when we see people who just really don't play by those rules succeeding, I think that's really, really important. So that's why I immediately was just like, oh, yes, <laughs> we need more of this. I was so intrigued when you spoke about 23 Code Street because, and I think I actually said to you that I really want to learn to code and, you know, we're years later and I haven't. So that's just me putting it off still. But, oh God, it's so important, isn't it? And and it's so dominated by that classic male stereotype of the geek in the hoodie coding. And I mean, how much of that has changed even since we met those years ago? Mm, I mean, firstly, I mean, if you ever want to learn, I'm very happy to teach you. Um, I know. And honestly, it's on my bucket list and, and I, I'm, I'm going to do it. And you're the first person I will be getting in touch with. We'll do it over coffee and cake. It's the best way to learn. <laughs> um, it has changed. I mean, I'm so grateful that it's changed in the 10 years that I've been in tech, but maybe not far enough. I think stereotypes exist for a reason. But what has happened maybe over the last five years is the success of tech companies coming through. If you look at some of the big names that we've had, Wise going through, and then, oh gosh, just some of the big ones, Monzo, Starling, they're starting to change what it looks like to be a tech company. And everyone wants to be in tech now, whereas before, I think if you looked at sort of the IBMs, the Facebooks, it felt a bit more classic and traditional. Whereas someone like Monzo, they're cool, they're fun, it's a pink credit card. And I think it's attracted a different group of people to it. What hasn't changed is the number of women actually being technical. The rate and increase in numbers are very, very small. I think the numbers have moved very slowly in kind of a progressive way. Stack Overflow does this developer survey every year. And last time I checked, it was about three in 10. And that's gone up from two in 10 when I first started out. So that move isn't huge. But the culture shift and the need for inclusivity is definitely a massive change. And that gives me so much hope that we're moving in the right direction. And I think, I mean, even you've talked about this before, that the change in product and innovation, we are seeing people like menopause companies and period-focused companies and fragrance companies even starting to get real investment. They're starting to realize that women have needs, people of color have needs. Who knew? And so that gives me some hope as well. But it's slow. That change is slow. Yeah, I love what you say around culture in the workplace, because the way you talk about it, you know, it's not in the buzzwords of building a culture in a company. It's actually talking about the realities of the people and what people want and what makes us happy at work and those things. And it is interesting, isn't it? Because I, I think some tech companies, they have all these amazing values on paper. But then when we look behind 
the scenes, those values aren't upheld within the company. You know, even feminist organizations that aren't feminist or mental health apps that treat their employees badly. You know, uh, you, you read about all of that. What do you think makes a good workplace from your point of view? Yeah, that's a it's a really good question. And you're completely right. I mean, aside from the hit pieces on female founders and especially female founders of colour, there is still a lot of issues within these companies. And for me, when I look at good culture now, as someone in my late 20s about to hit 30, it's really changed from what it was in my early 20s. And I think it comes down to how can you thrive in a space? And that isn't where the free snacks and the free gym. It's do I have that ability to work flexibly to suit whatever caring capabilities I may need? So if that's kids, if that's you're looking after parents or grandparents, like in my case, how do you have that freedom to potentially do something on your own? Are you being paid enough market rate? Are you being told what your career trajectory can look like and being supported into getting to that space? Do you have sponsors within the company who can see your value, not just the value of extroverts? And so I think as I've progressed in my career, that idea of culture has become more one of what does inclusion look like when you look at the support you need, as opposed to what it used to be, which was, do we have lots of different looking people in a space, which is a big part of it. Yes, we still need that diversity, but to get that diversity, we actually need that inclusivity of needs. And what I've found exceptionally satisfying actually is when there are good companies who have this inclusive culture, they pay well, they have the right benefits, they give good parental leave, both dads and for moms, and for those of same-sex couples, those have miscarriage leaves, you start to see that it benefits everyone. It doesn't just benefit the underrepresented folk in the room and you retain talent more, you get to have people who want to stay and who want to put money back into the company. You have people who bring their friends in and then you've got more top talent. And I think that change of diversity to inclusivity has been a definition that I've held very dear for the last five years at least. Yes, so, so important. And I really love what you say about building the future and looking ahead and coding is obviously a massive part of the future. And when we talk about empowerment, it's funny because that word is used so much now. But mm. when we think about actual empowerment, you know, what what's more empowering than knowing where the future is going and therefore playing a part in it? I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that, like how empowered people feel when they learn to code or when they learn new skills in general. Yeah, it's so interesting. People always ask me, like, why did you start a coding school for women? Aren't you just exacerbating the problem of silos within the industry? But that is the key bit that you just said. It's that empowerment and confidence that once you have the skills and you've got a space to ask stupid questions or what you deem to be stupid questions, you can then go back out into the big wide world, so to speak, and back into the industry with that knowledge and knowing that you have the skills to go to the next stage. And I think this is what 23 Code Street has always been. Everyone's like, isn't it just a coding school? But for me, it's never been that. For me, it's a place where you go and charge up your confidence batteries and then go back out into the world and make the change. Coding is such a powerful skill right it's a hard skill people say it's the hardest skill but I don't think it's that difficult it's like learning anything right but if you have that ability to create the vision that you have in your head 
you are already empowered. And I think this is why it's so important to have women and other underrepresented folks with coding skills to understand the problems closest to them. If you know what you are experiencing and then you can build it or have an idea what it takes to build it, which I think is sometimes more important, you're able to then go out and say to people you want to convince to be on your team, like other developers who may be more senior and have the real hard skills that you need, investors, maybe you need an operations person, you can convince them because you understand what it's going to take to build that. So teaching people to code for me was always about knowing what the limitations or the lack of limitations are with technology. And that for me is empowerment. It's expanding that horizon of what innovation looks like and who actually gets to build that stuff. You don't have to come out of Stanford with a computer science degree. You just need to know how and who can do these things for you. The thing with coding, and I think this is when people are starting out, they don't realize there are hundreds of languages. And you can learn every single one. There are similarities between them. Once you know one, you can sort of jump to other programming languages. But the fundamentals of it is you're learning how to solve problems. So for me, I've always kind of considered Lego the closest thing to coding, which, which I know sounds very strange. But with Lego, you've got these weird sort of four-sided blocks, and you can kind of create the world. You just need to know what configuration to put them in, which colors can go where. And so I think it's kind of simpler than learning a language in lots of ways. You're learning two things. You're learning how to problem solve and you're learning how to Google. I genuinely think like learning how to Google is such a core skill <laughs> of mm -hmm. being able to be a good programmer. Um, and then the learning the languages bits kind of comes second because then you say, well, which bits do I really want to do? Do I want to go into sort of artificial intelligence and teaching robots how to think, which sounds terrifying to me. I know nothing of that world. Or do I want to go into building apps? Or maybe I want to build a dating app or I want to build a fitness tracker. Or then maybe there's people who want to build e-commerce and there are languages for all these different things. Um, so I think you're completely right. There is a language learning aspect to it. But I think some people can find that a bit scary, especially if you're English. The English have very uh, weird thoughts of not being able to speak languages. So I always try and go back and be like, no, it's like learning Lego. It's that kind oh, of basis. That. Okay, that's really useful. Thank you for sharing that. Obviously, you started 23 Code Street a while ago. And what's interesting as well now is that even back then, obviously, people wanted side hustles or they wanted to build their own thing or, you know, the world's your oyster in many ways. But since then, obviously, we've been through the pandemic. What have you seen change? Have you seen that like there's a massive kind of rising in people wanting new skills like this? Yeah. And I think the rise of no code as this quicker on-ramp to building has also brought more people into the coding world. Um the pandemic has meant more people want to build side hustles because they realized they had more time on their hands. They probably weren't commuting or they were sat at home all day. So people wanted to learn in that sense. And then some people have come in because they realize no code is great. And I love no code. I think there's some incredible tools that you can use to really get you off the ground. For people that don't know what that is, would you be able to explain? Yeah. So no code is a bit like drag and drop in lots of ways. People who are no coders are going to kill me for that comparison. But 
it's an easier way of building websites and applications without needing how to code. They have uh, simpler tools. So Webflow and Bubble are two really big examples. Um, And they're a great way of learning. So do get involved in that space if you're interested. Amazing. Okay. So there's lots of different ways people can go ahead and start their own thing. Because what's interesting for me as well is I do surround myself with people who are entrepreneurs or solo workers or whatever we want to call it, people that have kind of quit that traditional nine to five. But how does this play into people with people's lives who they don't necessarily want to go and build an app? They just want to know a little bit more. Like, do you see lots of different types of people getting in touch? Yeah, that second one of people who just want to know more, you see that when you get to the C-suite. So you see COOs, the chief operational officers, you may see marketing people who've realized that they're at the table, but they're not actually making the decisions and they don't actually have a say or a sway in where the technology is going. So they want to know a little bit more to maybe have that confidence that we were talking about before, but maybe also to shut up the wider team and say, hey, you're kind of forgetting about 50% of the population or whatever it may be that they have a bit of a gripe with. And so we have lots of women who are C-suites, especially in corporates who want to learn, um, which I think is quite fascinating. I would always assume that when you get to that top level, you're kind of done with learning. I know that's like a massive generalization because why would you you you, of course we all need to be expanding our horizons all the time yeah and I also think there's an ambition thing when especially in corporates that I have seen and of course take this as uh, just my opinion what I've seen is that they want to get to the next level whatever that next big company is or they either want to step sideways into technology and without this idea of what tech is built on they don't feel they can do that because they're so ingrained in this corporate life and so I think They are still learning and women, especially because they are seeing that corporate life isn't going to get them to where they potentially could be or they couldn't take that that CEO seat, for example. Um, And even just this month, I think I have spoken to about 15 to 20 C-suite women who are saying, I want to move into tech because one, I could potentially earn more money, (laughs) which is wild to think about that that's the way around. And two... I can see that there's actually impact and change being made, especially now when we're talking about climate. There are a lot of corporate uh, women in C-suite who want to move because they're like, I want to make change. I've been on the wrong side of the table for so long. Um, And coding is their way of being able to prove to whoever it may be at the startup that, hey, I'm really interested in this space. Again, I think it's a fascinating trend we're seeing. Totally. And this episode is sponsored by Dell UK. And there was an interesting stat in a recent survey they did that I thought I'd bring up because it paints a picture, I guess, of where we're at. But they say that one in five small businesses struggle with having a lack of in-house expertise. And I don't know, I wondered your thoughts on that, because to me, that suggests that we're really moving in a fast paced time where many businesses are having to outsource so much stuff now. And it's like, we've got so many amazing freelancers at at the click of a button. I just wondered what you thought about that statistic. I can see it. I mean, I write for for Sifted, which is a media company, and we're talking to startups all the time who are talking about talent wars, for example. 
and the great resignation people don't want the same thing that maybe people wanted pre-pandemic or even 10 years ago and it's expensive to hire experts it's hard to find experts and now with remote it's even harder and so i think as a smaller company i think it gets easier the bigger you are and the more money you have from investment or even profit comes in the smaller you are that struggle is real and people are looking externally to creator economy type people freelancers and then also this idea of fractional c-suite people so say you have a chief financial officer they may work for 10 different startups people are bored of that one career trajectory thing they want to do lots of things they want the freedom to travel and i guess we're seeing that more with millennials and gen z than we are with kind of older generations but that knowledge in-house in smaller companies with less money is definitely something we are we are seeing more of yeah it's really fascinating isn't it the change a lot of people saw it coming but i feel like we're really in the thick of it now and i'm just so curious about it i'm like oh my god what's going to happen you know we're all just trying to work it out and the power dynamics have changed which i find really fascinating and also i'm really glad about because it was never right that these hierarchies were keeping people so limited in in their potential and it's amazing how much some freelancers can ask for now as well. I don't remember that being a thing when I started 23 Code Street. I sort of felt like the desire was to end up in a full-time job. You had a nice salary you could rely on. It would help you pay a mortgage. And that was great. And that's only seven years ago. And now you come in, see, as a developer freelancer, you can go up to sort of 800 to 1,000 pounds a day sometimes when you're paying um, certain technical talent. It's it's wild. I can see why you would want that lifestyle and you do that three days a week. Well, that's kind of enough to, to live a good life. <laughs> yeah, I was reading the other day actually about the rise of digital nomads, but that no one knows where they are <laughs> and how you could just have like a blank Zoom background and you could be in Bali or you could be in Paris or you could be anywhere and no one needs to know. And that kind of excites me because I love the idea of people just having more freedom and, and like you say, earning really good money as well. Yeah, just change your IP address if you work for a corporate so they don't know where you are. <laughs> yeah. Top tip. <laughs> good tip. Um, well, on that note then, because I know you've 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 learned so much like I could talk to you you know for hours about this I feel like you just you really are so knowledgeable and you've learned the hard way and you've also learned you know in the thick of it what does success in your career mean to you now that is such a good question and so relevant to my life right now it's really interesting because I was I said to you earlier I care for my 88 year old grandma she now lives with me and my and my family in a three-generational house and success has meant for me that I've been able to take four months off of work to be able to focus on family. And that flexibility and that freedom, I just don't think it's very easy to find. I've worked my arse off to get to this point, yes. Um, and so when I look at what my career is going to be in the next five, ten years, I realize there's only two things I really want. One is the flexibility to do things that I enjoy, and I know that's not going to be a full-time job. It's doing lots of different things that I can be useful in and where I can learn as well as the two sides. It's where I can actually have impact and where other people can have impact on me. And that second bit is the financial freedom. I don't want to be a billionaire, which I think maybe when I was younger, there was something in my head of, I want to be a millionaire or multimillionaire, but actually it's 
do I have the financial freedom to be able to look after my family as they age and look after myself as I may go through things? And that success of freedom is so important to me now that I don't understand why it wasn't something drilled into me from younger. And maybe that's just our capitalistic society, right? Um, and let's not lie, I like traveling. I'm in Milan while I talk to you right now. <laughs> and I think that is another bit of freedom is where I, can I be anywhere to do this work? Can I do it behind a laptop? Can I speak to people in lots of different tech ecosystems around the world and learn what they're going through, and what their biggest challenges are? Um, and that excites me. I think I think it's going to be a fun five years, hopefully, touch wood. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so good. And I agree with you. I feel like, well, if we're also going to work in this industry and be excited by tech, then why not be excited by the freedoms that that can allow people and the life that we can live outside of work as well and the things that mean so much to us? Because, yeah, I feel like there is a bigger collective shift towards success, meaning different things now. And I'm with you. I think on that financial freedom thing, I I think everyone has their own number of what enough means. But mm. I look at those people who are billionaires or at the top of that ladder and I think that doesn't look that fun either. And actually that doesn't look freeing. That actually looks like a trap, but a different kind of trap. It's so right. I mean, I had an incredible conversation with a woman who's working in impact and we both agreed on one thing. If you're doing impactful work or you're doing work that you think is meaningful it's very easy to get bogged down into this is important work and you forget that you need to be joyful that your personal joy is a priority and i think the more money you make also goes hand in hand with this idea of okay well i need to keep making that money to maintain this lifestyle and there is some joy loss i'm not saying being rich is bad please don't get me wrong being wealthy is bad but I think that joy alongside being comfortable is really important. And I hope we see a revolution of people realizing that their joy is important alongside health and alongside wealth. Um, it's a priority we need to celebrate a bit more. Yeah, I totally agree. And also, as we move into this time where we have more activists and more activism, thank God, because we need it, you know, those people who want to make change. It's like reminding ourselves and them that their joy is also so valid, if not obviously more important because without that joy, the work can't really continue long-term. Yeah. I mean, you're doing that impactful work, especially around climate to continue generational joy, right? We talk about generational wealth, mm. but <laughs> if we're improving every generation, which has sort of been the case up till now, then what we're trying to build is more joy and more freedom for upcoming generations and a world that actually continues to exist so it is such a big part of the conversation I love how you just put that thank you and talking of joy for me at the moment I'm getting a lot of joy from more community-based things like silly things like I, I've joined a swimming club and I'm trying to meet people with kind of like-minded values, but like not so much necessarily always needing to be about work. And um, I just wondered what your thoughts are about community at the moment and I guess how it plays out in your everyday life at the moment. Yeah, I love that. But I moved down to the beach. I moved out of London and moved down to the beach. So ah, amazing. I'm, I know it's great. Everyone should do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been looking for community there because it's, it's harder to make friends as you get older. People are coupled up, having kids. 
But the community that I found there has been so great. Lots of people who want to work locally. They want to build coffee shops in the area. They want to be creative. There's a swimming club. It's great. Come down and do some open swimming with us. And oh my god, I will. Please do. There's a <laughs> that was my, that's me fishing for swimming clubs everywhere at the moment. So <laughs> come to Margate. We have a sauna. It's free. Um, I'm such an advert for Margate these days. But that's been a really beautiful part of the community that I've enjoyed. And then the second bit of community that I've been growing over the last, I guess, since the pandemic started, is impact tech people globally. There's a couple of Slack groups that were set up and it's been incredible to find out how people are building women in tech, coding for women around the world. I mean, I've been speaking to people in Zanzibar, speaking to people in South Africa, and then people like in the US and Canada, which is less exciting. But that community I've never had when I was in London because there was only a fair few of us. Um, and that's been beautiful. And to see how that uh, that movement is growing has been a real privilege, actually. Oh, that's so great. I love that. And I also just love how that I feel in my personal life, maybe I'm just seeing it more now in everyone else, but there is this shift towards taking our well-being so much more seriously. Just that prioritizing of like, I, do, I want to do great work. Yes. But I also really care about some other things now. And yeah, maybe that is going into your 30s and beyond. Um, but it feel, feels good. And it's nice to see that in other people and I don't know, find new communities. So thank you so much for sharing that. Side note, just to say that Dell, the sponsor of this episode, runs the Dell Women's Entrepreneur Network for female founders, which brings female entrepreneurs together from all around the world. To end this episode, I have to ask you, I would kick myself if I didn't, what are you most excited about in the tech industry at the moment? Because God, it's just so futuristic out there at the moment, isn't it? There's so much going on. Please don't ask me about the metaverse or Web3, I think. <laughs> oh, <it's>... yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. I saw on Twitter that someone spent $300,000 on a virtual house. I don't know. Oh, my God. The thing I saw about that is um, a little video explaining what the metaverse is. And honestly, it just looked like a really bad version of Sims. <laughs> like the, It wasn't even... I mean, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but it looked... It didn't look very kind of up to date. <laughs> no, it does look very old fashioned. Uh, at some point, you should have a look at what Mark Zuckerberg looks like in the metaverse. It is an old school oh, Sims. It really is. Brings me joy just because it is old school Sims, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with old school Sims. That was fun. But strange to have that in 2022, I guess. Yes, and we weren't paying 300000 for a house. Well, not real money in old school Sims anyway. Um, but what am I excited about? I think I'm really excited about women's health and where that is going. I'm starting to see more and more research and money going into what contraception can look like, what people are dealing with endometriosis and menopause, postmenopause. The space has been undervalued and underlooked at and underinvested in for so long. And the struggle is so real. The fact that you can speak to any woman, there is some struggle happening either with them or someone they know and the fact that we are finally seeing investment and we are finally seeing companies that are actually being really successful clue being a good example is exciting of course the flip side of that is there's a ton of worry of what data looks like especially in the us with everything that's going on there 
But I think we're finally going to have a breakthrough and hopefully some new innovation that allows us to be pain-free, allow us to live maybe in less volatile, <laughs> which it is sometimes, it's volatile, emotional, hormonal situations and gives us the freedom to exist in ways that men don't understand um, or male people don't understand what we have had to put up with which it really is that we have had to put up with and it's exciting that some of the smartest brains are looking at this stuff right now so keep an eye on the space i think it's i think it's fascinating and it's going to blow our minds over the next 10 years oh that's really exciting good to know yeah i'm really enjoying the flow app actually at the moment mm. and it because it feels like a real person i know it's ai and i know it's a bot and i know they're asking me questions that are just coming out of an algorithm or whatever but i know it sounds really cheesy but I feel like I'm talking to like a friend in my pocket because there's lots of emojis and like fun chat that that I'm getting back but something that can tell you what your symptoms are and not make you feel like you're going mad is uh has actually really impacted me like I'm kind of amazed by it I'm gonna have to download it now because I've never used it this sounds so much fun it's nice because you feel like you're having a whatsapp with someone just talking about your period all day long and you're not actually bombarding your real friends with this stuff I really recommend that, but I also need to check out Clue. I need to check out lots of them and just see see what works best because I love that there's options now. That is just so exciting. Well, there's an incredible British founder called Amy Thompson. She runs um, a company called oh, Moody. Moody. Yeah. Yeah. That's another great that. one to check out. I think they're doing some fantastic work. Yeah, I know. It's so great. And um, yeah, back to what we were talking about, about empowerment. I mean, you know, it feels empowering to kind of know your own body in a way that was, just wasn't available to us not that long ago. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for this episode. I just love talking to you. I love getting to delve into everything that you've learned over the years. So thank you. And I'll leave more information in the show notes on how to follow along with everything you're doing. Thanks for this. And I'm sure we'll do another one in a few years time, hopefully. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to see what we're both doing in a few years time. We should definitely do that. Oh my God, totally. I know. And how I'm trying to lean into that unknown and that curiosity of like, what's going to be out there? It's, it's yeah, it's fun. It's going to be really fun. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Anissa and Dell Technologies and Microsoft for making this episode possible. Let Dell Technologies help safeguard your business with modern devices and Windows 11 Pro so you can do more and we can all go forward together. For more information, search Dell Podference or visit dell.co.uk forward slash podference to find out more.